This is Hubert's podcast. I'm Hubert. Kai, we were both at Confluent together, right? Uh, former colleagues. Um, we've known each other for at least three years because that's how long I was there. That's Confluent. right. Yeah. Really big influencer in the space, especially around streaming and real-time events. Um, could you just give yourself a, a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm now with Confluent for six and a half years. Um, so it's a pretty long time, both for Apache Kafka and also for uh, data streaming in general. And in my role, I uh, travel around the world. So I'm based in Germany, but I always say I also live in the Lufthansa Lounge because I meet customers and partners and the community worldwide. And that's really exciting because with that, I see um, not just what our customers doing, but also all the trends on the market, where it is going, what other technologies are emerging, both in the data streaming space, but then also related to that. And that's what I'm also then happy to uh, talk about what our customers are doing here and what's happening in the market. You put our recent blog post, uh, I think it was just last week, about the top five trends for data streaming with Kafka and Flink, right? Um, yes. Yeah, could you just summarize that for us really quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's important for you to understand that what, here's really what I see in the field already, um, not just from our customers, but in the market and from the communities. And in summary, what I see, what people start to adopt is five different pillars in the data streaming world. Um, and very short, we can also talk in more detail about some, but very short, um, the first important topic is data sharing. So mm -hmm. really um, providing access to data so that others can access it, which is um, sometimes internally, but also sometimes as an open API or B2B. And uh, that's a very important topic. And um, very often now I see where people adopt this more in event-based manner instead of just HTTP and APIs, which is, I would say, the best practice for the last 10 years, but often has um, trade-offs, let's say, <laughs> in friendly ways. Yeah. Um, so that's the first trend I see a lot. Um, the second trend, um, I talk a lot about data contracts, which is in the end the foundation of um, the governance model so that you can really ensure that um, everybody understands what others are talking about. In the world of microservices or now data mesh and data products, um, we want that the different business units or domains are independent and can use their own technologies. And they still need to collaborate with each other. And this is only possible if you have some kind of data contracts and policy enforcement and these kind of things. And that's where I see a lot of developments in the market. Third, um, I see definitely the trend to more serverless stream processing. So I, I work at Confluent, right? So in the meantime, um, most of our customers have a cloud-first strategy and leverage um, fully managed solutions, not just for Confluent, but all the surrounding data ecosystem. And with that, we see this clear trend towards stream processing as a next step where people are going um, these days because it's still very early stage here and that's great for us and great for other vendors and communities. Fourth um, is definitely multi-cloud, um, which includes hybrid cloud. But in the meantime, um, I really see more and more customers that deploy not just on one big cloud provider, but across different cloud providers. This has different reasons. Sometimes it's really for disaster recovery requirements and sometimes even enforced by governments so that uh, some companies and in some industries in regulated markets need to deploy across clouds for disaster recovery. And in some other cases, it's really across regions. Like um, if you deploy as an uh, automotive company in the US and in China, um, the likelihood is very, you, very high that you use different cloud providers like um, AWS in US and uh, Alibaba in China. 
Mm-hmm. And last but not least, um, clearly, um, and no surprise, right, generative AI, which um, is, of course, a hot topic everywhere. Um, but like for so many other use cases, when we talk about that, um, generative AI really only helps if you can provide the right context. And the right context typically is real time. And that's obviously where the data streaming ecosystem is a perfect fit. And these are, in, in summary, the, the five trends I see for next year. And I expect mm-hmm. a lot of adoption here. Yeah, this is perfect for me, at least, because it creates a nice agenda for us for this uh this conversation um a data sharing in particular for me because i i wrote a book on it uh, the data mesh and data products so um all, all this kind of resonates but it, it kind of all falls into that same idea of like you know streaming is really powerful to really enable all five of five of these things um uh, i'd love to talk more about uh um gen ai because mm-hmm. you know that's fun, and uh, and I think especially what you you brought up the term um, rag pattern or mm-hmm. like rag. Uh, can you explain more to me uh, what rag is. Yeah. So, so before we talk about rag, maybe really just to clarify, when we talk about Gen AI or generative AI, what is that actually, right? Because this is already the first thing what people really need to understand for this discussion. And because in the last ten years or so, we talked a lot about AI and machine learning, and um, that was typically predictive AI, which is, for example, like um, a recommendation engine, or it is like predictive maintenance in the industrial space. So this is where you take a look at historical data and then you predict the future. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, with this topic about ChatGPT and so on. This is about Gen AI or generative AI. And this is in the end um, where um, the entire data pipeline, so not just for data streaming, but also using the data lakes and, and, and machine learning frameworks, um, the business process of the, or the development lifecycle looks different. And this is important to understand because now we're really training, and not we, and this is important, not we, but uh, typically some large organizations like the, the tech giants in Silicon Valley or in China are training super large language models. This can cost $100 million or more. And then these large language models are used by others. And um, this is a big difference to the traditional predictive machine learning, because in predictive machine learning, typically a company trained their own model for a specific use case and often not that big data needed, right? Like a little bit of data for payments and and risk analytics and so on. But for these large language models for real generation of any kind of content, you need much more data. And that's why not everybody can train these models. And now the problem is that um, such a large language model alone um, that's not really helpful in most cases especially if you think about enterprise use cases because you cannot just ask a question and then the gen ai model gives you an answer what you need is the right context right and this is in the end now where data streaming can help a lot and this is what's the the, the term in the data science and data engineering industry what's used here is retrieval augmented generation RAG is the short term. And this is really more or less about semantic search and vector databases. But the the core message behind that is that you need to provide the right context to a question when you ask the question to the large language model so that you really can get a reliable answer. And this is exactly what I also talked about, how data streaming can help here. Because the general story is, again, and the context is better if you provide it in real time instead of providing it um, an hour later or 10 minutes later, because that might already be too late for many use cases. So I I read up right before this conversation what RAG is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and as you said, it's a uh, it's a way to there's 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 two parts to it really, like the the retrieval and um, and uh, and then the generation uh, part of it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then where the idea is that you're 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 building answers to questions or prompts. 
from your own corpus of data, right? And that corpus of data or documents, um, it needs to be up to date or, or it can't be old. Like, so if you're going, if, if there's a prompt asking you a question about something and then it gives you kind of an out of date um, answer, that's because it's only been trained on like older corporate, older set of corp uh, of, da of data. So the idea is like to update it continually. What are, what are some solutions do you think in, in retrieval for real time uh, real time uh, rag use cases? Yeah. So, so so the big difference, however, as as what you explained, is that um, mm -hmm. we are not directly updating the model, right? So this is a a, a big misconception. What's hard to understand um, until you read a lot of uh, uh, documents about that and and listen mm -hmm. to some people and experts, because we do not update the large language model. The large language model costs a hundred million dollar, and you train it maybe once a year or open maybe open AI maybe now once a month, but um, we do not update it all the time. Instead, what we do um, when we ask the prompt in the end, we provide the right content. Context, and this is exactly what we update. And here in the end now, um, it's the same question like for any use case. I typically, when I talk about data streaming, I pitch the story like um, real-time data beats slow data, right? And this is true for most use cases. And it's the same here like for the retrieval of data. It's typically better to have the right data, which is real-time. Um, and therefore, it's easier to talk about uh, example to understand this. And it seems like the Hello World example of this kind of rock and semantic search and Gen AI is um, travel and um, flight uh, cancellations, right? Which everybody understands, no matter which industry you work in. And here it's this example, like a flight was canceled. And um, you can ask a large language model, but the large language model needs to know the context. And therefore, you already know in real time that this flight was canceled. And then when the customer asks or an automated uh, services System asks, where should I rebook this customer to? Mm -hmm. Then it, the large language model can generate an answer, but it needs the right context to give the right recommendation. And this only works if it knows what other flights are canceled, what's the delays of other flights, how many seats are booked already. And the big challenge in the real world, so not just for our private chat with such a, 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 a chatbot, but for the real world is that you need the right context, which means you also need to integrate with other information systems like the booking system, the CRM system, and all of that end-to-end -end still needs to be transactional behavior. And this is the tricky part. So you bring the large language model and the context from the vector database into the right business process. Mm -hmm. And after you get an answer from the large language model, you process it the right way. And this is exactly the trick what, what, what data streaming can help a lot with. Ah, so so I see, I, I hear a, a vector database, I hear a streaming processor somewhere, and then that together can give you more up-to-date answers as far as uh, um, um, the large language models, right? Um, yes. What, what's, what's the role of Flink in this, mm -hmm. in this use case? Yep. So, so this is now a great question, right? So first of all, um, this is very early stage of these discussions, right? Because I mean, um, ChatGPT is now available for a year or so and everybody's playing around and now the, the, the architectures, there's an evolution and lessons learned and all these things. And now, of course, there's, there's many different options how to build this architecture. You can still do a lot of point-to-point um, -point communication with HTTP. You can even integrate batch systems. You can directly integrate a MongoDB to a, to a, to a large language model. So there's many options, right? And now um, the data streaming part is often the decoupling between the systems. That's typically Kafka or a similar um, um, streaming platform. And then for Flink, 
in the end, it's, it's really it's the stream processor um, which prepares and processes the data the right way. Because um, as we all know, um, if you send shitty data in, then you get shitty answers back. And so <laughs> um, the, the real value of stream processing here is that you can um, connect to different data sources, like in this case, the booking systems, the CRM data, log files, whatever. And then you pre-process and curate it so that you feed the data into the right systems. And then, for example, into the vector database, which again can be a Pinecone, it can be a MongoDB, it can be many others in the meantime, because they all support this use case today. And so you make sure with stream processing that you continuously provide the right data feeds um, to update the, the vector database um, as soon as possible so that you can do the semantic search on updated data. And in a similar way, um, when you then connect to, for example, a real-time customer service application, it's a similar story where you create the data so that you only ask questions with the right data into the large language models. Because another um, problem that exists these days is that um, when we play around with ChatGPT or similar tools, um, it's nice and I, I use it a lot in the meantime because it's so powerful, even if it's not trained with special data about, about me or my context, but it works already. Mm -hmm. But now what we already realize, um, this is not free. This costs a lot of money. And so the more you prepare the data to ask only the right question to the large language model, this is also for efficiency. And this is, again, data quality. And this is mapping into the other a trend I, says, I said in the beginning about data contracts and um, data governance, so that you need to, to know end to end about what data is flying through the systems because every request into the large language model costs money and um, these days it might still be a lot of free things because people want you getting into their system but this will cost you a lot of money if you have millions of transactions or communication services um so that's there's a lot of pressure on flink right to get this 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 uh this pipeline right um Who's responsible for creating the the embeddings? So, with the, from what I understand, you have data coming in, somehow it converts into embeddings, which is a, a bunch of like uh, numbers that represent uh, unstructured data, mm -hmm. and that gets into the vector database. So tell me how that part works. Yep. So, so that's a great question, right? And honestly, um, I think a lot of uh, teams or companies don't really know exactly how this workflows and business process should work because it's so new. And it's not just about um, uh, looking at Flink or similar technologies from a technology side, but also, again, from the data governance side, from the um, data privacy side, there are so many questions. And depending in which country you live, it's even harder. Like, I live in Germany, right? So um, here the question is not what can we do with Gen AI, um, but here it's more a question how can we limit it because it takes a look at all of our data. So um, mm -hmm. there's many more questions like that. But, but in the end, from a technical side, I think it's really the data engineering team um, that collects the data from all the different data sources and different different APIs, and then it um, is, is in the end data processing a data pipeline, and mm -hmm. um, then you in the end feed it into an embedding model where you um, create exactly these kind of, of vectors um, which you store in the vector database. So um, uh -huh. it, this is in the end how this process works together, I think. Okay, so now I have embeddings in my vector database, um, and I have a large language model that I'm using via API somewhere, let's say open OpenAI or something. Yeah. Um, how does that come together there so yep. that I start asking questions based on yep. uh, on the context, on the data that I've served it or, or fed it? And this is now, again, the, the tricky question. So if you do a Hello World project, you might just do an HTTP call from one to the other, right? They mm -hmm. all have APIs you can call, like in OpenAI open and so on. So this works for a demo. 
But um, now we're talking about a real world system and typically needs to scale and run 24 seven, right? And this is now again where um, the streaming platform in the end, like Kafka, is um, the event hub, right? It decouples the system so that um, the semantic search and the vector DB, they, they, this is their own independent um, domain and they get new updates, but then you can uh, push these updates back to Kafka and from there you can get it into the real-time customer service application, which is a completely separate application or data product or business unit. And so you feed it into there in a decoupled way and then in the real-time customer service, which might be even a Python app, right? Where you feed the new events in from the vector database. And here now, in the end, the important thing is what you feed into this Python app. This is um, the flight information, like um, from a booking system, a flight is canceled, and the right context from the vector database around this flight. So which customer is, is, um, is hit? And um, how do you rebook this customer or so? And then this is the context. And then when you do the prompt, like you said in the beginning, you do the prompt to the large language model with all the accurate data, including the context. This is now where the one model prediction happens, where the chatbot creates the one answer, sends it back to this Python data product, and then here the business logic happens for booking a new flight or for sending a text message to the customer or anything like that right and this could be a simple python app this could be another flink app this could be a, a streaming database and, and this is the sweet spot i think for these architectures and um, each of these applications is independent and decoupled with kafka this is the the, the most important thing because over time these architectures will change because right now we are all learning. And honestly, even at uh, Confluent, where um, our first demo, right, um, it used Kafka, mm -hmm. but a lot of the integrations between the systems were HTTP because it is well understood, it works well. And in the beginning, it's okay. But over time, we probably need to change it to a more native event-driven interface so that it scales independently mm -hmm. and is real-time and consistent and so on. So, so I have a vector database and I'm already you know, I have a lar large language model and I'm somehow enabling my application for, with Gen AI, right? So I have my customers, my users to be able to ask questions about, um, you know, whatever my application does, right? It's, it's a more, you know, interactive way of communicating with your, with your, uh, with your end users. Um, mm -hmm. So let's, let's, what I want to do is just think about that in the context of, like real-time analytics, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I've been approached a couple of times by by people just asking questions. So when 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 is you know Apache Pino is go going to have Gen AI in this? What does that mean mm -hmm. exactly? Right. Yeah. Uh, all, all I can think of is like you know you you ask a question somehow it translates that to like SQL statements and it generates analytics for you or somehow mm -hmm. you know. Somehow yeah. you, you have a prompt and, and back what you get back are, are analytics. Um, I, yeah. I did a test one time where I said, uh, you know, I, I had a, a uh, like a really simple math problem that my child was needed to do uh, for, for class. So I copy pasted it into uh, to ChatGPT and it gave me the answer, right? Like it, it, it read the text, it gave me a real, it was a simple, it was a simple, uh, a math problem. I just wanted to see if ChatGPT could actually do it. But what did that mean? What did that mean to me? It actually gave me analytics back based on a question that a prompt that it was provided, right? So if yep. you extrapolate that further, um, analytics can actually be uh, like the back the back end of or like a, a new way of, of approaching general uh, you know uh, um, analytics in a in a gen ai uh approach right any thoughts on yep. that idea 
Yeah, absolutely. So because um, this is really um, how we see the adoption in, in, the, in the enterprise world of Gen AI is that in the end, it's an evolution of existing business processes, right? So um, mm -hmm. what you do in the end, um, on, a, on a very high level, and no matter now if you add this into Apache Pinot or um, directly into a Flink application, in the end, it's just another endpoint you ask, right? So mm -hmm. um, in the past, um, you had some data sets you directly ingested um, via Kafka into Pinot. And now um, you first maybe ask the large language model to create a write data and feed that into Pinot, or maybe you do a new in Pinot, if that makes more sense for, for, for the right mm -hmm. space. But in the end, um, how I see this in the, in the real world is really, um, um, it, I mean, there, there will many things come in the next five years, right? We don't know what's coming, but I'm um, in the beginning of already proving value. And that's important because um, we don't need to just show new technology, we need to add value. And the easiest to, to add value is to improve existing processes. And, and I can give you one concrete example for that, right? So um, at Expedia, um, they, they travel booking, right? Airlines and, and hotels and so on. So um, they were hit in the pandemic, obviously. Almost all flights canceled, all customers called the hotline. So um, nobody could reach Expedia anymore. And I think we all experienced that. So the hotline was five hours or you couldn't reach them at all. So what they did, they needed to innovate. And what they did, um, and that was the, during the pandemic, um, so even before ChatGPT, but in a similar story, um, they trained a chatbot with their own internal enterprise data so that they could automate their internal systems with that. And then they changed the business process so that the first call from the hotline goes to the chatbot. Because actually the question was almost always a similar one, right? Like, uh, my flight was canceled, what should I do? You always need the context for that because you need to help each uh, customer individually with different contexts about what other flight options or getting money back and so on. But they simply changed the business process and attached a new technology. And with that, they um, saved a lot of money and they made the customer much more happy because 80% or so and could be helped via the chatbot. And in a similar now way now to be back to your question about more real-time analytics, well, um, you first do it the simple way, writing a business function with some logic for calculations, and then you add AI to that. And this mm -hmm. is not where Gen AI changes things because now you can add Gen AI like um, calling a large language model or the context from a vector database. And with that, you can provide a better answer to whatever you want to get an answer for. And the answer might be for a Pinot application. It might be a mobile app where you do a human in the back end, right? So um, there are so many options, but this is the way I would see it. Um, we shouldn't start with the most complex stories, but really improve the existing ones because here can, you can prove the value, prove the value um, much more easily. Right, right. Um, with, with AI, there could be you know, lots and lots of, of data right and your data is probably going to live in some kind of like object store or or like lake house for instance mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts on like technologies like uh like a warp stream or hootie or delta um being having stream processing close to uh uh um like the, the the lake house, like on top of the lake yep. house, versus yep. on top of something like uh, like a Kafka, right? Yeah. Um, no, so this is a, a a very good question and it makes a lot of sense, right? So, um, what what, what my thought is that in the end, um, I I only like the term lakehouse more from a conceptual perspective, right? I, I don't like if a vendor tries to sell everything into one product because that's not, that never works and we all know that. Mm. Uh, but from a um from a from a more conceptual perspective, I think it makes total sense how these technologies merge, right? So in general, and um, it's interesting timing because today I I published a blog post about um why tiered storage is such a big thing for Apache Kafka, right? Mm. And 
in a similar way, um, no matter then if you use OpenShift Kafka or Confluent or maybe something like Warpstream or another technology um, or go more to a database or data lake vendor like Databricks and, and, and Snowflake, right? But the idea is in the end um, to, to um, first separate the compute from the storage. But, um, and this is, I think, where the lake house uh, trend goes to, um, you will not have five different storages where you store all your data. And I think this is the key trend we see in the market, right? So um, in the end, uh, in most cases, we will likely see an object store for the big data sets because it's the most cost efficient and, and scalable mm -hmm. one. And I think that's fine for most data because for real time, you can still do it with Kafka or something on top. But then um, you can also store it on disk and then query it with something else. So um, what I see is in the end, the two things right still separate compute from storage so that you can do real time when you need it and otherwise you can query with other interfaces but really i'm um, not one te technology can do that but you have the freedom of choice and th therefore to your question about these technologies like hoodie and others um so my perspective is that um in the end apache iceberg is the is the technology which seems to win this fight um it mm. seems like most vendors adopt this interface because i don't even know the, the reasons which one is better but that sometimes doesn't matter right because they Bricks had their own uh, format with, with Delta Lake and then um, um, Snowflake, uh, probably for that reason, supported Iceberg and not the one from Databricks. And then <laughs> there's different reasons why sometimes um, a standard is created. But in this way, I think what we see in the market across most vendors is that um, Iceberg is what everybody supports, maybe not as primary thing, but at least as secondary. And this is exactly this trend for the lake house, so that you um, feed data in for example, in real time where it makes sense, um, but then you store it with a, a, a iceberg table and then um, it's stored in an object store. And then no matter if you use um, Snowflake for the compute and for some other workloads, you use um, Databricks. I think this is really um, where the market is going because that's really um, what makes the architecture flexible and still um, cost efficient and scalable. Uh, here we got Ralph joining us here. Yeah. Um, so, agile planning. So, so what's Confluent doing, uh, Kai, in this? Um, because I, I haven't heard of a lot of that from Confluent yet. Yeah, I, I mean, um, we are using um, tiered storage, right, for a long time already in production. Mm -hmm. Where now also it yeah. was it's coming to Apache Kafka these days um, with the 3.6 release. And so, um, this is in the, the foundation of the story, right? So at Confluent, um, the most important um, strategy to build um, Kafka in a cloud-native way, both for cloud as our fully managed service, but also for the self-managed Confluent platform. And the most important thing I think was to uh, separate the compute from the storage. Um, this makes it mm -hmm. more scalable, more cost-efficient, and more reliable because the, in, in the case of Kafka, the rebalancing only needs to be done in the brokers, while 99% sit in the object store, right? Mm -hmm. And this is in our perspective on that. And um, where will it go in the future? Um, we just talked about the iceberg discussion, right? Where I think it will win the market. Um, how then will all the different vendors play in this space? Um, well, we all don't know today. If we talk again in a year, we will see that. Um, probably mm -hmm. everybody will try to get somehow into that, right? Um, but um, uh, the, 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 we also see on the other side, if you, if you take a look at these different um, technologies like Snowflake, um, data bricks and so on. Um, for most of them, the, where they make their money with is the compute. And so I really foresee how in the end, um, probably there will be an object store and people will use something like Iceberg and then sell the compute power to do their advanced business logic or um, reporting or analytics. And I think this is the future then where many different um, vendors will play a role. Um, how, how will Confluent play a role? We will see. Um, we are still more coming from the um, streaming side right so this is our core business and so in the end we don't care who does the reporting afterwards and who does the data lake use cases um so um i would say we have a little bit less pressure than some other vendors in this space um but um it, it's will not get boring in the next years 
you may know that Ralph and I are writing a, a, another book, uh, streaming databases. <laughs> I do, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a, a core theme with that is really bringing people to streaming, right? Because you're you're marrying the co the concept of databases. You're giving you're giving like a database facade or experience on top of stream processing or, or streaming in general. Um, and with Gen AI, like you, that kind of doing the same thing a little bit is bring a lot of people that really weren't maybe a, maybe just a different perspective or a different way of accessing real-time data right um what's what's your opinion on like bringing a database experience to to uh to streaming uh, some some don't need it some do what is a database experience does it re require a database or, or is it just SQL? Um, what's, your, what's your opinion and like how, how, how can we bring people closer to stream processing or streaming in general? So that's a, a really great question. And of course, I was—I mean, I know you both, right? And I know you're writing the book. And um, actually, also before this um, podcast recording, I also um, updated myself about the last pitches from some of these vendors, right? Like Ember mm -hmm. Materialize, for example, is now talking about, uh, I think, streaming cloud data warehouse or something, yes. while <laughs> yeah. Rising Wave is more still <laughs> a stream processor, right? So it's, um, mm -hmm. first of all, very confusing, and everybody looks for the right pitch here. Um, the most important thing for me is, again, the story that um, in, in the world of microservices or now data products with a data mesh, um, we need to, we can choose the right technology for the right problem. And this is the great story here, right? And over time, um, there is a, a, a slew of technologies already today, right? And um, all have some overlappings with each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, that's a great thing. And we will find it. They're the right um, solutions. Um, and this is now the, the long introduction to your answer about what do I think about streaming <laughs> databases. Um, so my perspective is um, this is great, but um, it's very early, right? Be and, and I can explain it. I mean, I work with you in projects, with Ralph in projects at customers, right? Um, and I can just now talk a little bit more from the confluence side, but um, I think most enterprises, and, and don't think just about the tech companies in Silicon Valley, right? But most companies are in the so early stage of data streaming in general. So most start with um, using Kafka or similar technology like, like Pulsar or Panda. I mean, most mm -hmm. use Kafka, but they use it as a broker, right? To decouple systems and still have a reliable, consistent layer in the middle as a data fabric between real-time and also non-real-time data. This is the, the superpower of Kafka at its core. And then as next step, and this is where I think where most companies are today, they leverage data streaming as a data pipeline, where in the end, they still connect, unfortunately, still to their legacy systems, which is the Oracle databases, the file-based systems, the APIs. And what do they do with it? Well, almost everyone first ingested either into Snowflake or into BigQuery or a similar technology. So the heart is real-time, scalable, and so on, <laughs> right? Um, but this is the real world today and now yeah. we're starting to see the adoption of stream processing and um stream processing here is still today what we see in an adoption of i would say 70 80 percent is unfortunately for some right it's only streaming etl so it's filter it's join it's transform mm. be between the pipelines from the source to the sink because it's about data quality about uh, reducing the cost and all these things and that's great so i think this is where most customers are in the maturity curve today um, a few already built 
what, what we can now call stream processing applications. So this is what we hear from the tech companies like Uber, Netflix, Lyft, Alibaba, right? So they're doing this for years, but this is then the stream processor where you use Flink or a similar technology or Kafka Stream to build more advanced business logic into a stream processor. Um, it's still far away from what you're talking about with a streaming database because um, it's not it's a materialized view, but only with a key value query, right? So it's not a database. Um, and this, but this is where we are not even there today yet for most customers. And I think the next step then, and Ralph, I know you have something to say in a minute, um, but and next then I see the materialized database really like um, to, to adopt for some use cases. But today, yeah. my perspective is from the customer side. And even if the technology is great, most customers are not ready for it. Yeah. Uh, one thing is, I mean, I, I think the focus uh, in the stream processing community, in, in the streaming community uh, as a whole, actually, is too much on these big tech companies like Lyft, Uber, the ones you know, you mm -hmm. mentioned and more. Because, I mean, I see that now in my work at Micro. So we, we are actually quite doing quite an ambitious Kafka Lyft, so to say, combined with an SAP migration. And what we try to do is, what I try to do here is to really uh, democratize streaming for people who don't have any idea about streaming. That's lots of SAP people who have, who, um, yep. who have, um, whom I have already <laughs> kind of infected with uh, Kafka and that stuff. Um, and so far, they are just uh, publishing topics, uh, like, I mean, just using streaming, but not stream processing. But uh, we are at the tipping point. So we um, we need um, a stream processing technology which is um, accessible for non-lift companies, for, for, for like just yep. ordin ordinary database people. And here I see the problem with um, Technologies like Flink, I mean, KSQLDB is out of the question now, I guess, a little bit. But um, I see the problem that this is that Flink, for example, is still too hard to use for a normal database guy because it you have to know so many things about um, watermarks, uh, windows, all that stuff. Um, and these these like ordinary database guys with whom I'm working now, they want yep. to have a string processing solution which is easy to use, which is which behaves a bit like a database. It doesn't have to be uh, materialized views, but it, but the stream processing itself also has to be uh, working in in a similar way, in a similar vein as the database they are used to. And for that, yeah. I think, um, and, and I think actually that, that, that this market, which is much, much bigger than these Lyft and Ubers, because they will do self-hosting anyway, they will not, of course, uh, many, of, many of them will not really <laughs> um, pay for Confluent, and 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 but for uh, us, for example, we we would, and um, I see um, these surely very immature technologies and and very new technologies like Materialize. I, I see them as kind of the key for opening up the streaming space for these like ordinary companies, um, and I see that this is a bit neg neglected. Um, in the streaming world as a whole, so yeah, I, I mean, um, we will see, anyway. right? I mean, this this is exactly um, what we don't know where the markets are going, and that's why the great thing is there is a great option of very different tools and technologies, and the right ones mm -hmm. will win probably, right? Um, and the great thing with the decoupling with Kafka as its core or a similar technology, right? But with the decoupling, you can choose the right technology or change them over time. Um, so so, but specifically yeah. to your example, right? Um, so um, of course, Flink will also not solve every problem, but um, like in Confluent Cloud now, where we have um, Flink. Um, 
um, in February while you're speaking um, with the, in the end you, you also can write ANSI SQL, right? And under the hood you have a serverless offering. So um, for most use cases you will build there and you cannot solve every problem with that, no question. But for the most use cases, and that's where people are today for like streaming ETL, you mm -hmm. just write a SQL query like against the Oracle database and you process the data and the performance tuning and all these things you mentioned like watermarks, which are complex technologies. Mm -hmm. um, what we want to provide as a service offering is that you don't have to worry about that because you write mm -hmm. a SQL query and the vendor of course has to get it right under the hood because that's why you use the serverless offering. But um, so, um, and this is, I mean, what I can talk about, right? Because it's really yeah. also uh, <laughs> in public, um, but um, <laughs> what, what one goal of this um, product with Confluent Cloud with Flink SQL is a serverless offering, um, which by the way also scales back to zero if you don't use it. Um, mm -hmm. And the goal of that is um, on the one side, of course, to handle the operations because um, what, what you might know, but many others don't is, and are surprised is that Flink is even harder to operate than Kafka. Why? Both are distributed oh. systems, <laughs> but unfortunately, um, Flink adds one more problem, which is state, right? That's all this mm -hmm. about stateful stream processing. And um, so, but we are not just um, taking over this burden for the customer, but on the other side, we're making it super easy for the developer who just writes SQL queries. Can it solve mm -hmm. every problem? No. Um, for that, then you will get UDFs and um, later you will get then also access to Java and Python. And um, will that solve every problem? No. Um, but this is exactly then in the end where there will be different sweet spots in the future. One will be yeah. like a serverless offering with Flink. Another one will be something like Materialize, which by the way, we also partner with, right? Because um, yeah, the customer yeah. should choose the right problem. But I think this is now where we'll see what the adoption will be because it's really hard to tell because um, on the other side, if, if I'm trying to explain what a streaming database is, I promise you with nine out of 10 customer meetings, I will fail because they are far away from understanding that. Mm -hmm. But if I tell them, this is a fully managed service, you're already using Kafka in our Confluent Cloud offering, and you just write a SQL query against it. You don't even see Flink under the hood, right? Um, yeah. And they will use it, understand it. And, and these are the, the things where we will see where the markets are going. Yeah, I, I, um, it's interesting that because well, when when writing this book, you get you get to talk to two different people. There are streaming people like ourselves, like you know, and you get to talk to database people, um, and they have different views of the world, <laughs> and it's really weird. Yeah. Absolutely, because um, <laughs> even with the, the, the we have to say without stopping you too completely, but I mean we love Flink and um, the yeah. Euro guys who I know personally partly. So yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you. <laughs> um, that if if you were bring up the idea of what a streaming database is, um, a database person will give you a completely different answer than what a streaming. A streaming developer, Absolutely. right? And a lot of our definitions here in this conversation are, are streaming definitions versus de database definitions. To 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 uh, to a database user that may not know a whole lot about streaming, um, she would probably say, "Oh, it's just a database with you know like asynchronous running materialized views or something." And somehow I'm able to expose my write-ahead log. For to others for for consumption, not, not nowhere there does it say like stream processing, or mm -hmm. or Kafka or you know commit logs or anything. We I, I did bring up a write ahead log, but to the database person, it's just a database. I'm using SQL. I'm able to create these what we call uh, uh, um, incremental ma view maintenance views of of, of uh, like asynchronous ma uh, um, of uh, mm -hmm. materialized views, and then exposing that data use as like a way like through through like a write ahead log just like you would write use a write ahead log to replicate your own postgres database to a like a secondary database 
to to the database users just all of that right from from a from a stream processing perspective where a streaming developer is completely opposite there's a there's a there's a a, a commit log you know there there's a, a stream processor and there's state um it's, so if the whole idea of like turning the database inside out by martin kletman i think a lot of people weren't ready if you turn a database inside out nobody knows how to use the parts like i mean if you do you know how to how a database <laughs> works uh yeah. well then that's that's the that's the issue is like you know i don't know how a uh, database works so how do i know how to put these things together and scale them individually and create an experience that, that that's, that's easy to understand i think this is where like the streaming databases come in is really it it brings the two it does it keeps that separation there in fact there's a there's still in streaming databases there's still a separation of streaming and database functions and workloads it's really interesting right um and but they're trying to use like sql to kind of marry the two concepts so that it just seems like one it's you know <laughs> and, and that's the hard part right to, to use two right. concepts and look like one and, and that's why i'm also skeptical here and we, i mean and you both know that, right? We all have tried to, ex or we, we did explain what event streaming in general is to so many people, right? With mm -hmm. Kafka yeah. streams or any other technologies. And, and mm -hmm. really, let's be honest, how many people you talked to the first time did understand what event streaming is, what materialized exactly. views are, asynchronous systems, right? Um, that was my job. Hard <laughs> yeah, and, and my, it's my stop, job still, right? But it's <laughs> super hard. And this is why it, it still takes time. And that's why I'm back to my story. Um, If you go to a person today, uh, nine out of 10, if you give them just the option to write a secret query um, or maybe configure a connector via ui they will get that they don't understand how mm -hmm. it works under the hood but that's the job of the of the serverless offering to, to handle that and that's i think where we are today um and in a similar way you mentioned now the database you mentioned the streaming world um if we talk about data science and data engineering well they only need one thing they need a python interface because they use numpy in the Jupyter notebook yep. um yep. you can talk about all the benefits of a streaming database they don't care at all about it because right. they <laughs> want to have a python interface and that's it right and therefore and um, the great yeah. thing is if we provide the different options and with different vendors and partners, right, and then find the right ones for the right projects. I think this is really the, the strategy. And this is also what I try to explain to customers. One technology cannot solve everything. Same for us for Confluent. That's why we also work with all these partners, both from the streaming world, but also from the database and data lake world. And um, I, I think as, as soon as a vendor tries to tell you um, one technology can solve all this lake house story, then um, I think you should be very scary. Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I, I think Confluent um, in the past, like eight or nine years has really not like bear the burden of bringing streaming to yeah to most of the weight <laughs> it's, it's been it's it's done such a great job you know the, the lots lots of smart people really um evangelize the idea of stream processing um but it's there's still more to do right there's still <laughs> lots of people lots of companies still afraid of, of streaming um yep. And then maybe I was wrong about this. Maybe like a year or two ago, I thought maybe companies were, if if you understand, like breaching the chasm, right? In in marketing, where where uh, you know a, a lot of innovators are new, playing around with new things, but then you want to cross that chasm to get it to the early majority. Do you think streaming is fully within that early majority of customers that are doing it right, or at least? A little bit. 
I, I think it's still far away from most customers. So if you really? take, and I, I can't go into, into too much detail, right? But if you take, I mean, we're a public <laughs> company, and if you take a look at our numbers and where our biggest um, accounts are from financial services, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, um, how much stream processing do you think these companies do? I mean, honestly, right? Um, so um, they have all the mainframes to integrate all the Oracle databases. So this is still a combination, a hybrid deployment. It's still data consistency. That's the power of what people always underestimate with Kafka because not everything is or will be real time. And therefore I still say stream processing is so early stage at 80, 90% of companies worldwide. Um, yeah. If we forget the digital natives, right? Um, the companies that are born in the cloud in the last five years, they start from scratch. And obviously they use Confluent, they use Kinesis, right? Uh, they use ClickHouse, mm. whatever. So um, that's fine. But for all the companies that, that exist for more than five years, all of the core systems run in databases. They have data warehouses with reporting. They have data lakes often still built with Hadoop. Um, so mm -hmm. I still, we are so far away from that. And this is actually why I'm still so excited working at Confluent um, mm -hmm. because it's still so early stage for most customers. And so this is such a, a, a marketing story before all of us, not just of Confluent. I mean, um, um, if you take a look also now and what's happening finally, if you take a look at um, the, the research analysts, right? Like Forrester, for example, um, they mm -hmm. announced an, a new um, wave this week. Week, right and so even these kind of researchers talk more and more and more about the data streaming category right so they have always new terms right like um event streaming or event factory or whatever but um they see the adoption of this new category so it's a completely new thing and um therefore from the hype cycle perspective um mm -hmm. I, I think with the kafka and building the pipelines this is um, back to your question about where um at least maybe 50 percent are now or more right mm -hmm. um but the stream processor and even for simple streaming etl this is the 10 20 percent maybe this is not official yeah, yeah. stats, right? But this is just my personal perception of that. And so this I is think so also, early stage. I mean, you mentioned, of course, consistency, which triggers us. <laughs> I mean, have, have you talked about that before or not? Did I what? But did, did you talk about consistency before, before I jumped in? Um, no, we not, have not. Not, no. not much. Not yet. Just really okay, we, we have to do it. Um, it <laughs> so that's, that, that's one of uh, the chapters of our book. And, um, um, and you also mentioned um, that, that Flink SQL is ANSI SQL, which is of course true. But the thing is, um, that's just, just the syntax, right? And um, I think the SQL semantics is something which um, is also in an early stage, <laughs> so to say, because, um, um, and that's what we kind of found out when researching for this book. I mean, um, again, we have to mention like rising wave materialized because um, what, what they add is like an additional layer of um, abstraction on top of streaming giving more consistency guarantees than eventual consistency. Because, I mean, Flink, for example, KSQL, they are eventually consistent. And that's yep. one of the things um, which make it extremely hard to do, for example, joins, um, especially non-window joins. And this is something which we'd like at yep. least to whistleblow a little bit um, into the streaming community because um, yep. that's a bit neglected. And I think, yep. um, yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. No I don't, I, I don't yeah. disagree with all this, right? I'm um, so that my, my point here is, and uh, also, um, as you know, there's always best practices, right? Like, and you can solve many problems, even with an integration of Kafka and Flink with exactly one semantics. It's still um, not the consistency you're talking about, like in a database, mm -hmm. right? Because Kafka is not a database and Flink is not a database. And yeah. that's yeah. where that might be the future. But again, um, this discussion is not something which 98% of companies have today because they don't mm -hmm. have this problem yet. And this is in the end. So I see this as the future. And I'm, 
maybe in, in five years when we talk, right? Maybe we also have a stream mm -hmm. database, or probably I might say I don't know, right? Um, but for today, I think um, this know. is a great discussion. Um, but um, and I mean, I think your book is still a year or so from being published, right? Um, so um, this is an emerging curve. Yet. Um, but <laughs> we will see. I, I think that that streaming databases are in the very early stage of this kind of hype cycle, right? And um, it, yeah. um, uh, stream processing is just getting there, and we will see all of that. And um, because all of them have good arguments, and in the end, then um, it's about simplicity for the end user to solve the problems. And you're fully right again when you say that ANSI SQL is not perfect for stream processing, and I fully agree, of course. Right, um, but um, if the customer can solve the problem he wants to solve, like um, getting data um, extreme case again from a mainframe in an Oracle database, filter it in real time, and provide consistent data into a data warehouse that is only near real time, well, that's what you get that's out of the box at, at any scale, right? Um, and with yeah. low latency. Right, and so um, therefore, one of my favorite success stories for this discussion is right. If you take a look, there's a public um, blog post from PayPal, um, mm -hmm. where they had a use case where they improved their data pipeline. Um, I, I think it was um, with open source Kafka to BigQuery or something, and they had a data warehouse pipeline end to end, and they improved this from something like 10 hours to 10 minutes. Right. Um, mm -hmm. When I tell such a story to customers, they are surprised. But um, reality is not <laughs> always real time when we talk about Kafka. It's about consistency. And um, in most of these use cases, yes, it's only eventual consistency, but it's totally fine because the data warehouse does not expect consistency in a second, and it doesn't even care about that. And um, these are again the tricky parts. What do you, problem do you want to solve? Um, because I'm yep. uh, yeah, right, and, and this is um, in the end where we need to go to solve the problems of today, and then tomorrow we solve the problems of tomorrow. Yeah, things aren't black and white. There's a lot of gray yeah. areas, yeah. and there's there are probably more. Um, use cases in certain gray areas that we haven't it, it takes time to kind of identify right um absolutely yeah um hi that really great conversation always you know always a great conversation <laughs> even like walking down the hallway yeah. with you we uh we have <laughs> yeah. conversation so um definitely want to do this again next time um maybe, absolutely maybe next year uh maybe after your uh your uh company kickoff <laughs> exactly. And so maybe when your uh, book is released, right, and maybe in half a year yeah. or so, we will see what, what streaming databases look like then and how they're yeah. adopted. Um, absolutely. Because I'm sure when we talk in a half a year or a year, um, the story looks differently already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, we don't even know which of these companies will survive. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. So or get acquired, we hope, right? You know, we hope all of them, exactly. which are mentioned <laughs> in the book, will still survive. <laughs> will, will still have survived. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. And, and maybe also really to conclude this discussion, right, Hubert, because I also saw you, you wrote a lot of interesting blog posts about the, the general streaming landscape, right, with um, mm. uh, so many different companies, and, and not all of them will survive, as Ralph said, right? Yeah, you're, it's, you're, too many, it's too many. And, they, they, and yeah. they all really should credit and thank Confluent, because uh, <laughs> I think only, absolutely, yeah. they would only survive if Confluent was successful, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we, we have also, um, you know, we have a, a for Confluent Cloud, we have a program called um, Connect with Confluent, and this is exactly where these kind of companies build fully managed connectors, so that the, the customer can ease of use again, just connect with a button click and feed data in and use it, right? And so the adoption mm -hmm. curve is much easier. And this is, um, some will do it right, some will not do it right. Um, uh, it's not always that not necessarily the best technology wins, but also if you have the smart decisions about ease of use, for example. And um, we will see where it goes. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's really interesting to chat in a year or so again about where, what's the status of um, not yeah. just us, but in general, all of these companies and the, the streaming market. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Kai. Next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me.